Hello there, and welcome to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashams in South Africa and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we ask why is Africa not translating youth success to senior World Cup success? We speak to Nigeria under-17 coach Emmanuel Amanike, who has led the Golden Eaglets to a record fifth under-17 World Cup title. But despite Africa's great success at youth level, an African team has never gone beyond the quarter-finals of the Senior World Cup. So why is the talent at youth level not being translated to senior level? Talent alone cannot give you success. Talent alone cannot make you to achieve a lot of things. There's a lot of factors. And uh, in Africa, mostly, we don't seem to invest in football. Plus, we catch up with the latest in the English Premier League and we hear about the power of football from an organisation called Football Beyond Borders. They believe that the game can do a lot to combat racism. Yaya Toure has spoken out extensively about race. And when our kids interviewed him, he spoke about it. And it was great to see how he said, you know, education is the most important thing. So that's coming up. But uh, let's start with the CAF Champions League as TP Mazembe of the DR Congo became champions of Africa for a fifth time as they beat USM Alger of Algeria 2-0 in the second leg for a 4-1 aggregate win in Lubumbashi. The goals came from a penalty from Tanzanian Mwana Samata and Ivory Coast Roger Asali. They also have players from Mali, from Ghana, Zambia and Zimbabwe. Well, Mazembe joined Zamalek of Egypt as the second most successful side in the tournament's history, behind the eight-time champions Al-Athli of Egypt. This Mazembe project is funded by club president Moise Katumbi. He's the governor of Katanga province. And Solomon, you have to admire the vision that uh, Katumbi has. Governor Katumbi himself has been a really big supporter of uh, football in uh, the DRC. So we're talking about really using sport as a tool of social change to give younger people opportunities, to bring some sort of entertainment to the communities like we saw in Lumumbashi. Because I believe in across the African continent, there are a lot of opportunities uh, for different cities to be able to replicate what uh, Governor Moise Katumbi uh, has done with uh, TP Mazembe in Lumumbashi. Well, so well done to TP Mazembe. I was there in Lumumbashi in 2009 when they won the Champions League for a third time and the celebrations and excitement were amazing then and I believe this time around it was even more crazy there in Lubumbashi. Well let's take a look at the FIFA Under-17 World Cup now as Nigeria won it for a fifth time beating Mali 2-0 in the final in Chile and successfully defending the trophy. They extended their own record from four titles to five as the most successful nation ever in the Under-17 World Cup. Victor Osimhen scored an incredible 10 goals for the Golden Eaglets in the tournament, making him the highest scorer ever in the history of the competition. And Osimhen scored in all seven games. But the big question is, why is Africa doing so well at youth level? but has never gone beyond the quarter-finals of the Senior World Cup. Why is this talent at youth level not being translated to senior level? Here's the Nigeria under-17 coach, former international winger Emmanuel Amunike. 
Well, Nigerians, are, we are, I think uh, when it comes to football, uh, generally we are talented, and uh, this is a gift that is being given to given to us by God. Uh, but of course, uh, talent alone cannot give you success. Talent alone cannot make you to achieve a lot of things. There's a lot of factors, and uh, in Africa, mostly we don't seem to invest in football. Uh, we just believe because we believe a player is talented, we're going to do miracle. No. Uh, the teams that everybody look onto in the world, the likes of Germany, the likes of Argent- Argentines, the likes of Spain, all these people, they invested a lot of money and uh, they train their players, they teach them through the theoretical aspect and through the practical aspect. And then this makes the players much uh, better players. This makes the players to know what to do at every given time. This makes the players to compete at the top level. You know, and even if you don't, if you don't, uh, channels our work or if you don't direct this our players towards that direction no matter how good they are of course they can be good players but those that are more knowledgeable in the game will always be ahead of them because when you are more knowledgeable you are more informed uh, then your decisions making will always be much better than a player who is just he's talented and he's just coming into the field to play and he does not know what and what to do at every given time. And this is the problem we are having back home. I think uh, knowing that for we to be able to compete at the top level, mostly when it comes to the senior team, our players must know what it takes. Of course, they can be playing in Europe, uh, but uh, in a top club, there is no much time to be teaching you a lot of things. I think uh, this category is a category where we teach our players a lot of things. Uh, this category is a category where our players should understand the question when, why, uh, who, whom, what, and uh, if they should know this kind of uh, words. And then their decisions making becomes much better. And when they get to the senior level, uh, they, real- they know what to do at every given time. You don't expect the coach to be telling a player that is playing at top level to come back and defend. Already automatically these players, they know that when they lose the ball, they know what to do, and when they have the ball, they know what to do collectively. That's Nigeria under-17 coach Emmanuel Amanike. So he says that the players need more than just raw talent, that there needs to be a big investment in football development in Africa so that African countries can match the likes of Germany and Spain technically. But of course, almost all of the senior Nigeria national team players are playing in Europe anyway. So does that really make sense? Amanike says that they'll miss out on certain concepts in football while still at youth level and not be smart enough at decision making. Does it make sense, Solomon? Well, Steve, I feel it does make sense. Lately, football has really changed. Uh, now there, there's been a lot of science in football and also development strategies to be able to identify players whilst they were still very young and to be able to nurture them and that would give you a head start that would give the player a head start and that would give the national team uh, you know of any country like Spain and Germany like he mentioned a head start Uh, so we're talking about some players actually they get identified or they are like six years of age eight years of age it's great to, to identify that early because what that does is you begin to teach this young player uh, the technical side of the game. You begin to teach them so early, just so by the time they are 17, 19, uh, they know so much uh, about the game uh, and they are so mature in their knowledge of the game. 
But we don't see a lot of that in Africa. You only see that much later, maybe when the kids are like 16, 17. Yes, African players are very gifted, uh, but talent is not enough. Like uh, Emmanuel Amunike said, you know, as a defender, how do you make sure you track back? How do you make sure also with the way football is changing as a defender, you attack, uh, you know, and you create opportunities for the midfielders and for the strikers. But at the same time, you do your defending duties when you have the ball or when you don't have the ball how do you read the game appropriately you want to be able to learn all that when you are much younger and when you learn that when you're much younger then definitely you have an advantage over your peers well i must say i'm not uh, entirely convinced about uh, that theory from the nigeria under 17 coach but uh, perhaps it is the case that uh, african players have certain gaps in their know-how their tactical strength and uh, they can get away with it at youth level but when it comes to the senior world cup they get exposed. Uh, But uh, on the other hand, there is a degree of suspicion as to whether the under-17 players, under-20 players and even under-23s are the correct age or if there is widespread age cheating in African football. Uh, We can't go into this too much. We can't make any specific uh, allegations against uh, any country. Uh, And we do believe that testing is quite rigorous these days. Uh, For example, in 2013, nine players were excluded from the African under-17 championship in Morocco after these scientific MRI risk scans showed them to be overage. So Solomon, is it fair for people to be suspicious about the ages of these African youth players? I, I don't think it's fair, Steve. I feel the system of the MRI uh, that was introduced and made compulsory in 2009 by FIFA, you know, uh, to determine uh, the player's age, that was not just really the beginning of it. It started in 2003 when FIFA began to, you know, investigate the use of also biological markers for age determination because of all the allegations of age cheating. And the Nigerian players, there, there have been situations where some of them were dropped because of the in-house MRI scan that was done uh, during the recent on the 17 World Youth Championship in Chile. The, the coach from Mexico actually point blank, you know, was talking about Nigeria being eight sheets and and a Mali. Uh, being big players and, and, and being eight sheets and all that. But I feel with the system that uh, FIFA has put in place and FIFA as a regulator of football, I, I feel is we can trust it. They, I don't see a way where a player or, or uh, a team would be able to cheat uh, through this sort of scientific system. Well, thanks a lot, Solomon. Um, Somewhat mysterious to me, really. Why is Africa so good at youth football but falling short at senior level? Nigeria even beat Brazil 3-0 in the semi-finals of the Under-17 World Cup. But can you imagine that happening at senior level? Is it because of lack of top-level coaching from a young age, as the Nigeria coach told us there? Is it because of age cheating or is there another reason? Tell us what you think on WhatsApp on plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. We'll go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there. Uh, please note that we can't make any specific allegations against players or countries regarding age cheating, but you can give us your general comments. Well, on WhatsApp, the situation at Chelsea continues to catch your attention. This week, it was reported that coach Jose Mourinho still has the support of the club's owner, Roman Abramovich, 
This despite the Blues losing 1-0 at Stoke last Saturday. Their seventh Premier League defeat in 12 games, the result leaving them just three points and two places above the relegation zone. Well, Efrathar Kamanga in Malawi wasn't impressed. He says Chelsea beaten again. What bad news for Jose. Dominic Gomez in the Gambia also got in touch. He says Chelsea crumbling once again. Are you sure that Jose can fix things? This is my take on Chelsea, says Dominic. And as much as I'm against the sacking of the manager, what I saw last Saturday from the players' faces is a lack of confidence and low morale. What they need is fresh ideas, and that means a new manager. I'm sorry, but Jose has to go for the sake of team success, says Dominic. Well, uh, to me, Chelsea are still well-placed in the Champions League, and they seem likely to qualify for the knockout stages. So despite their poor league form, I'd be very surprised if Abramovich changed anything while the hope of Champions League success still exists, because, after all, that's the title that he really wants the most. A happier listener is Sylvester in the Gambia after Manchester United's 2-0 win over West Brom. United are now fourth in the Premier League and Sylvester says, Victory for us! I'm very happy indeed. And we had lots of congratulatory messages coming in to Nigeria's under-17 World Cup winners as the Golden Eaglets retained their under-17 world title. Alassane Drame in the Gambia says congratulations to the Golden Eaglets on beating Mali 2-0 and becoming only the second team ever to win the under-17 World Cup back-to-back. Striker Victor Osimen is now the number one highest goal scorer ever in the tournament with 10 goals and scoring in every match. Congratulations, boys, as you did exactly as I predicted earlier on Planet Sport Football Africa. And Alassana is right, because way back on the 17th of October, he wrote saying the Nigerian under-17s can go far in the tournament with the calibre of players that they have. So well done to you, Alassana, for calling that correctly. And also you've been in touch with your congratulations for TP Mazembe as they've won a fifth CAF Champions League title. Musa Sise from the Gambia says congrats to Mazembe. It was well-deserved. They have outclassed MC Alger. Musa Touray says congratulations to TP Mazembe, once again champions of Africa, and wishing them all the best at the FIFA Club World Cup. Uh, the draw's already been made there, by the way, and Mazembe have a bye to the quarterfinals. If they win that, they'll face the might of Argentina's River Plate, winners of the 2015 Copa Libertadores. Well, thanks so much for all of those comments. And this week, do tell us why you think Africa is not translating youth success to senior World Cup success. The WhatsApp number again, plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Do take a look at our website. It's planetsportfootballafrica.com. It's designed specifically for smartphones, so you can listen to each week's current show there and find out more about us. Uh, Solomon, Stewart, and myself talk about our best moments at the FIFA World Cup, and we answer the question when we think an African team will win the World Cup. 
Now, there's no doubt that football has the power to do great things in society, and we're going to hear from a youth-based charity in the UK called Football Beyond Borders, which has worked in 13 different countries and is mostly operating in London at the moment. Planet Sport Football Africa's Tom Ellis spoke to Tom Perez from Football Beyond Borders about their work and how they use football to empower young people and to break down borders. And what we do is we use the power of football to inspire young people to achieve their goals, and that can work in a variety of ways. We have a big focus at the moment in some of our programs in education, working in schools with young people who are underachieving. We also work with older young people, say between 16 and 21, working to empower them through leadership programs, through campaigning, and and also again just through football. The power of football to bring people together, to teach them、uh, transferable skills such as teamwork, respect. Taking action—all of these things are things that are themes that run throughout our work, and that allow us to to engage with young people and to inspire them. And you talk about football being this global, universal language and bringing people together. What do you reckon it is about the game, about the sport, that does that and that gives you that chance to to empower people and to bring about transformation? I think it's got to be the accessibility of football. The fact that you don't need an incredible amount of equipment. You don't need a huge amount of knowledge of rules. I mean, people are obsessed about the offside rule, but when I grew up, I grew up in Zimbabwe playing football with with limited rules and limited equipment. We'd just have a ball of plastic plastic bags wrapped up with a string tied around it, and no goalposts even, and just chasing a ball around. And kicking it and having a good time, and I mean, it's that simplicity that makes it something that anybody can get involved in, from that level to elite level. You know, people playing in stadiums and so on. That's like, you know, there's so many different variations of football, but you can enjoy it in different ways, and you can enjoy it as a participant, or you can enjoy it as a spectator, and you can enjoy it as both, which I think is even more satisfying. And obviously, the name is Football Beyond Borders. What's the name about? Like, how did that come about? I guess initially it started、uh, because of the international focus we had. So when we were a student society at SOAS, which is the School of Oriental and African Studies in London, it was the SOAS football team that initially gave birth to FBB, and the idea was to go on into international football tours with a difference. This was more about going and engaging with cultures that we didn't know about、uh, and that maybe had been misrepresented in the media. So, for example, Palestine.、Uh, when I went there in 2011 with the group that went, it was just amazing for me because I I didn't know that much about the conflict. And it was eye-opening to see it for myself and to try and understand it and, and really empathise with what was going on there. And so that was the beyond borders, beyond physical borders aspect of it. It was about recognising that those borders exist, but trying to go beyond them. Because often people say football without borders, and I say no, no, no. The borders are there. We have to recognise them and, and try and go beyond them and engage people beyond those borders. So I guess now it's a lot more about the, the social borders. Whilst we still try and remember the physical borders, we've done all this amazing international stuff. But what about the social borders that exist within our own country? You know, class, race, religion. How can we try and engage people across these social borders, and how can we break down these borders using football? One of those borders you mentioned was race. What role do you think football can and, and should play in trying to break down that particular border? I think it, it can play a massive role, and it can really it can go a lot further than it does at the moment. I kind of feel like FIFA and a lot of the big institutions at the moment, when it comes to race, it's very tokenistic. The the kind of、uh, measures they take to discipline people. So, for example, the bans that 
that a state that fans will get or that a club will get or a, or a player will get for being involved in some kind of uh, racial slur or, or making you know monkey noises or anything like that tends to be a lot less than bans for other things and that for me is is a real problem because racism is is something that across our history has been you know it's caused huge catastrophes or you know genocides you know the holocaust you can look at um, apartheid for example which is very close you know it's it's within and within our lifetimes and so it's something that i think we really should be making a lot more progress on but i think there are players and there are initiatives that are doing doing well to try and uh, challenge this so yaya toure has spoken out extensively about race and when our kids interviewed him he spoke about it and it was great to see how he said you know education is the most important thing if someone is educated they're not going to be they're not going to be racist and and that was big for for our kids to see that because we're strong believers in education and that for me is the key in the long term it's got to be education you can find a club or you can find fans but that's only dealing with the symptom you're not dealing with the actual um, root cause and that is often ignorance and a lack of education and i think at the end of the day also football has a big power to change things but what football is is a reflection of society so what happens with when people spot these racial issues in, in football is they they think oh this is just football and football's really bad but actually no this stuff is happening in society as well so if we what we can do is use football as a mirror and say well if this is bad in football then what you know what can we do to change it in society on a structural level and and i think that that's where FIFA and so on need to need to take stronger steps rather than just the tokenistic stuff. And I think if there is more support at the grassroots level by not just telling people not to be racist but also encouraging and promoting people from black and minority ethnic communities and giving them the opportunities that are currently not afforded to them so say more black managers so that there is a reflection of how many black players there are at the moment you know you, there are so many black players in the english league but there aren't many black managers and you're wondering where is that disconnect and why is that happening because there are black managers who are qualified enough to do it so i think it's also about giving those opportunities and trying to challenge the kind of the bias the racial bias that might exist because people might not think of that as racism but it, for me that's just as important on a structural and institutional level that that is also uh, addressed that's tom perez from football beyond borders a youth based charity in the uk talking to tom ellis he mentioned there the low percentage of coaches from black asian and other minority ethnic communities in english football and a recent study suggested that it could be 30 years before black and minority ethnic managers are properly represented in english football the report by the sports people's think tank found that 23 out of 552 elite coaching roles are held by those from black asian and other ethnic minority communities that's just a 4% of the available positions despite 25% of the players being from black asian and other ethnic minority backgrounds there are currently 6 black managers at the 72 english football league clubs going from the premier league down to league 2 Okay, well let's talk about the English Premier League in more detail now and our European football expert Stuart Weir joins us from the UK. Let's start with Newcastle Stuart. They had a valuable win last weekend. Yes, winning at Bournemouth. Now, it was a really odd game because Bournemouth had 20 shots on goal but just couldn't find the net. Newcastle scored with their first attempt on goal and managed to hold on for the win. Yeah, I mean Newcastle had uh, Chancel Mbamba from the DR Congo, they had Chick Tioti from Cote d'Ivoire and Papasisi who came on as a substitute. 
And also, it was great to see the South African Tokilo Ranti getting his first appearance for Bournemouth this season, coming on as a second-half substitute. Bournemouth do have other Africans, but they're not in the first-team squad, or one or two are injured as well. So uh, Tokilo is holding the African flag at the moment at Bournemouth. Yes, still waiting for Ghana's Christian Achu to get involved at Bournemouth and Max Gradle of Ivory Coast still injured. And Stuart Lester are still doing amazingly well. Jamie Vardy. we got to keep talking about Jamie Vardy at Leicester, who beat Watford 2-1, and Vardy scored a penalty, and that's the ninth consecutive game in which he has scored. So everyone will be crossing their fingers in the next game when he needs to score again to equal Ruud van Nisselrooy of Manchester United's record of scoring in 10 consecutive Premier League games. But, you know, Leicester, we keep saying the same things every week. You know, last year, most of the season, they were searched for relegation. They managed to pull it together. And now they're up in third place. And, of course, Leicester have a strong African contingent with Geoffrey Sloop of Ghana playing the first half of the game and Riyad Mahrez of Algeria playing most of the game, as he does most of the time. And they also have... Orden Guidiora, another Algerian, who tends to come on as a sub in the last five minutes. He just was on the bench the whole time in the last game. But, you know, uh, he's involved, another squad player. And I was rather amused to hear the Leicester manager, Ranieri, pleading with people to remember that it's November and that the league finishes in May and not to expect too much of Leicester and not to be talking about Champions League football already. But, you know, it's an amazing performance, amazing job he's done to have Leicester in third place. You know, what did I say last year? For most of the season, they looked as if they're going to be relegated. And we saw Norwich beating Swansea. Now, uh, Norwich, of course, have got two players from DR Congo. That's Yusuf Malumba and Jumersi Bokani. And both of them were involved, along with Sebastian Basson of Cameroon, as they got a very much needed win over Swansea, as they're pretty low at the bottom. And we'll have to mention Crystal Palace beating Liverpool, first defeat for the new manager at Liverpool Club. And, of course, as usual, Palace had their three Africans on the pitch, with Yannick Bolassi of DR Congo scoring the first goal. We also had Papasuari of Senegal and Bakary Sacco of Mali involved in that game. And what a great win for Palace. Middle of the table, moving up, great performance. And just to mention two other things over the weekend. Can you believe it? Chelsea lost again. They lost 1-0 to Stoke. Last season, Chelsea lost three games in the whole of the league programme. And already this season, they've lost seven times. And, of course, they also went out of the League Cup at Stoke. New manager at Aston Villa, Remy Gard, saw his team get a draw with Manchester City. And again, we had three Africans involved there. Idrissa Gué of Senegal, Jordan Ayew of Ghana, started the game, only to be replaced by another African, Rudy Gastetti of Benin. And just to mention Manchester City, Yaya Torre, of course, was involved. But Kelechia Ikanacho came on as a sub late in the game. Interesting to see that young Nigerian continuing to get game time at Manchester City, despite all the expensive superstars being around.
And Kalechi Iher-Nacho was signed by Manchester City after the 2013 Under-17 World Cup. And I'm sure that a few Nigerians will be on the radar of big clubs after they've won the Under-17 World Cup again. Well, thanks a lot, Stuart. And uh, before you go, you've got a rather amazing piece of trivia for us. Now, Steve, not a lot of people know this, but when Cameron Borthwick-Jackson came on as a substitute for Manchester United against West Brom, he was, in fact, the player with the longest surname ever to play for Manchester United. Borthwick-Jackson has 16 letters, which is two more than the previous longest, Bastian Schweinsteiger. And if you want to go back beyond that, it was Ruud van Nisselrooy with a mere 13 letters. So there we are. Cameron Borthwick-Jackson, a name to conjure with. (laughs) Well, I'll have to go through the Zimbabwe team and see who's got the longest surname there. Uh, That's it for this week's show. Uh, No English Premier League this weekend, by the way, as it's an international weekend with World Cup qualifiers taking place all around the world and all around Africa. We'll talk about those on next week's show. On Facebook and WhatsApp, uh, tell us uh, why do you think Africa is so good at youth football but falling short at senior level? Nigeria won the Under-17 World Cup for a fifth time last weekend and yet an African team has never gone beyond the quarter-finals of the Senior World Cup. Is it because of a lack of top-level coaching from a young age, as the Nigeria coach told us? Is it because of age cheating or is there another reason? Send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five. 2 We'll go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. Uh, do note that we can't make any specific allegations against players or countries regarding age cheating, but you can give us your general comments and uh, we'd love to hear what you think. Also, you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at PlanetSportFA. Our website is PlanetSportFootballAfrica.com. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashoms in South Africa, and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.